fight, flight, or freeze? Reaction or inaction or action? Welcome to episode 403 of The Recovery Show. This episode is brought to you by Barry, Miriam, Brittany, Karen, Mike, Margaret, and Michelle. They used the donation button on our website. Thank you, Barry, Miriam, Brittany, Karen, Mike, Margaret, and Michelle for your generous contributions. This episode is for you. We are friends and family members of alcoholics and addicts who have found a path to serenity and happiness. We who live or have lived with the seemingly hopeless problem of addiction understand as perhaps few others can. So much depends on our own attitudes, and we believe that changed attitudes can aid recovery. Before we begin, we would like to state that in this show, we represent ourselves rather than any 12-step program. During this show, we will share our own experiences. The opinions expressed here are strictly those of the person who gave them. Take what you like. We hope that you'll find something in our sharing that speaks to your life. My name is Spencer, and I am your host today. And joining me today, coming back for the I don't know how many if time, is Eric. <laughs> Welcome back, Eric. <laughs> 40 plus some odd episodes. Good morning, Spencer. <laughs> some odder than others. <laughs> <laughs> Greetings from Grand Vista, Connecticut, on Veterans Day 2023 at 11, 11, 11. Oh, my goodness. As we just noted. Yes. Yeah. yeah. 11 a.m. on 11, 11. You can start step 11 anytime. That is one thing that I've heard for sure. We have a reading here from Hope for Today, October 15th. I used to spend a lot of time doing nothing. I watched the world pass by as I berated myself for not accomplishing anything. When I did take action, it was often a reaction. I reacted impulsively and compulsively to the words and behaviors of everyone around me. It seemed as though I was always ricocheting off two walls, one marked inactive and the other marked reactive. I use Al-Anon tools to work on these character defects. To stop reacting, I use the slogan, How Important Is It?, and Tradition 12's suggestion of placing principles above personalities. The serenity prayer, the slogan, Let It Begin With Me, and the 11th step helped me to transform dreams into reality by choosing actions wisely. I need to remember to cultivate a balance between inaction and action. Impulsiveness can be as much a trap as immobility. I avoid this by praying to my higher power for guidance before I take action. It is important to wait to be inactive until I feel that guidance. It helps me to remember that a period of inner waiting and preparation, what I used to call doing nothing, takes place before I can realize which action to take. When my higher power and I are ready, everything falls into place in a way that never could have happened had I acted alone. The thought for today my higher power's guidance suggests it's best to leave decisions about my times of rest, preparation, and action up to God's infinitely perfect sense of timing. And the quote from One Day at a Time in Elanon, I will realize that even in doing nothing about my problems, I am actively practicing the Elanon idea. Wow, there's a lot in there. And okay, we were talking about God winks, like when we looked at the calendar and the clock and said, oh, it's 11, 11 at 11 o'clock. My meeting this morning, I'm in a group that's working out of the workbook, Reaching for Personal Freedom, which has a set of readings and questions for each of the 12 steps, the 12 traditions, and the 12 concepts. We 
are in the the section on step 11 this morning and this exact thing about waiting for guidance from our higher power came up in the sharings as we were working through that section of the book. Wow. Can I give you one more? Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I look at a Google document that you sent me. Yep. If it's, if I'm correct, look at the font size. It's 11 points or it's 11. Yeah. Yep. Shut up. For me, okay, so there's this word balance that you highlighted, balance between action and inaction. And for me, that 11-point size is a good balance between too big so not enough fits on the screen and too small so I can't read it. It's a balance. Uh, Boy. Just 11, 11, 11. 11, Eleven. It's 11s all over the place. (laughs) Oh, man. Uh, If I remember correctly, you sent me an email on October 15th saying, hey, let's talk about inaction and reaction because you had read this reading and it inspired the topic. Um, And here we are. I was in a meeting or read this day. I just just jumped off the page. It's just packed with stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Inactive and reactive, just ricocheting off two walls. Back and forth. When I first started thinking about it, I thought about fight or flight, which are both reactions. And then I thought about the extension of that, which is fight, flight, or freeze. And freeze is inaction. It's one form of inaction. There's also the just not doing anything form of inaction, which is not necessarily freeze. How do I, how does my body, how does my my lizard brain, as I sometimes call it, that that portion of the brain that is like all about emotions and reactions. How does my lizard brain react? There's the word. What does it do when I'm confronted with something out of the ordinary? And the answer is this fight, flight, or freeze. When I'm walking the dog at night, there's a lot of rabbits in the neighborhood. And so we're walking along the sidewalk and there's a rabbit in a yard next to the sidewalk Often they freeze. They're like, if I sit really still, you won't see me. And then if we get too close, all of a sudden they run away. And how often have I done that emotionally when something is happening that I'm not, don't want to be happening that maybe has some sort of emotional or, or otherwise threat? My first thing is to hope it's not real, ignore it, do nothing, inaction. If it becomes clear that this is going to happen, then my lizard brain says, run away, run away. That's my usual second reaction is run away. In this program, I've learned a a new way to deal, which is captured in here. It helps me to remember that a period of inner waiting and preparation takes place before I can realize which action to take. This also, for me, connects to the three A's, right? Awareness, acceptance, action. That time in between becoming aware of something and doing something is the way that I step away from flight or freeze. That's what came up for me when I first started thinking about this. How about you? While you were talking, I wrote, the freeze is the unhealthy version is to feel paralyzed, which is the way I felt 
when I came in, when I did not have an adequate toolkit, I just felt paralyzed, like waist deep in concrete paralysis, like the bunny rabbit. If I just freeze, I'll worry it away or, <laughs> yeah, or the, or the acronym for fear as the one that says <laughs> a little of color, but is F everything and run. Yeah. Wait, there's a guy that used to uh, be in, in a lot of meetings. I haven't seen him in years. Uh, Jack, he used to do this thing where he would say his higher power would speak to him and say like a, like he was a, a dog, sit, stay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And he would say it often at a meeting. Now, talking about higher power, he just said, Jack, sit, stay. You know, there's praying for guidance is where I settled out here. There's another saying, don't just do something, sit there. Yeah. Right? Yeah. The implication is that being inactive is actually doing something. If we put it in context of mm. waiting for guidance, my sponsor texted me this morning, something God's never late. He's always on time. It's just his time. Yeah. And the other one I quoted somewhere I don't found was if I hadn't made you uncomfortable, you wouldn't have moved. Love God. I have been sitting in very severe discomfort for the last week. I've been in this really uncomfortable position of forced inaction. When I first suggested this topic, as usual, then all of a sudden my, my higher power says, so let me give you some examples here. Hey, you need another lesson. Here's something else you need to learn about. Just like with the other topics we've done, on patience, all of a sudden I'm stuck in traffic. I'm like, come on, man. God, <laughs> really? You're going you're gonna to just lay this stuff on me man, over and over and over. And it, his answer is usually, well, you asked for help in learning some, some lessons. So here you go. Here's a line at the supermarket, and you're going to be in a traffic jam for a couple hours. So as fate would have it, I'm a construction manager, and I have a project down the street, which is a beautiful renovation of an office building and a marina that I've been waiting for it to start since I expected it in June to begin. So I set up an office at this location. The owner decided to go ahead with some of the work prior to us getting a permit. And my subcontractor proceeded to screw it up royally, uh, putting me in a position of serious jeopardy about having this project proceed with me at the helm. I've been sitting in limbo, although I have another big project I'm doing, but this would have been really helpful financially to have this project start. And now I'm in jeopardy by someone else's behavior. This has put me in severe jeopardy of losing the project to the point where the owners are frustrated with me. We had a face-to-face -face about a month ago, and he told me how unhappy he was. Um, it's his well, first in my career. I usually exceed people's expectations. And I've just been sitting lately in this real bad place of there's really nothing more for me to do. I made it a man to him. I said, I will do my best to avoid this going forward. The fact is, with only one trade working, I wasn't there every day. And this guy was unreliable. But that's not a good excuse. So I've been sitting and just thinking, what is, is there anything else I can do? I don't know. To make a, an apology to the client? I, I can't think of anything. So I'm just going to have to be uncomfortable mm. and sit and wait and come what may. I've had stress pain in my neck now for going on a week that I can't get rid of. And then 
Sure enough, and all I've been praying to my higher power was for guidance. Let me know if there's anything else. You have any suggestions for me to alleviate this dead end of inaction? I don't feel there's any action I can take that will help. Last night, Spencer, Mm -hmm. last night, I'm out with a very close friend, and we're at a restaurant, a really nice place here. She asked me finally, so what's what's happening with that project? I've told that I'm just frozen in this very uncomfortable place. So I don't see any other thing I can possibly do. And she pointed out to me something. She said, if this person going to write a bad review about you, you're going to be concerned about that. And all of a sudden, a light went off in my head. There is something I can do. The person that referred me to this client, I can call and go meet with and explain what happened and what's going on. That would be a very proactive thing for me to do and take some weight off of me because this guy understands me and I have a long relationship. So that's my little distraction story that just last night hit me, as I sometimes say, like maybe not a ton of bricks, but a couple of bricks. Right? A couple Pretty of awesome. bricks. <laughs> there is something, there is something I can do. I had to wait for my higher power moment to tap me and say, oh, how about this idea? And there it was in my face. So I, I texted the person that referred me to this client last night. He, I made the mistake of not putting my phone on do not disturb. He replied at one twenty three a.m. Let's meet for coffee next week. So, you know, sometimes just wait. Wait. Some, sometimes uh, just wait. And ask for guidance. That's it. Ask for guidance. And I got it on his time. I sent out a request for shares on this topic from from listeners to the show. We got a few. Share this short one that Carol sent. She wrote, Thank you for the big, juicy topic. These days, I'm focusing my recovery on how long am I spending keeping my reaction going? It is very expensive for me, and the cost is so high. Yeah, when I react to something, what does it cost me in emotional energy, and how long do I keep it going? I hadn't thought about that in this aspect, but sometimes, yeah, once I've done a reaction, then I feel like I've got to support it. I started down this road. I got to keep going down this road. And and maybe I don't want to be going down that road. But if I don't stop and say, what am I doing? Why am I going this way? Let's go a different way. If I don't do that, that can really be very costly to me in some cases. I, I love her start. Big, juicy topic. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. Yeah. This is a big, juicy topic. I wasn't sure you and I would have enough to talk about, but holy smokes, you saw this ridiculous Word document I sent you this morning. <laughs> you, when you get going, it's absolutely, I, absolutely you, true. You can't, ever, you can't ever accuse me of not being prepared. You sent me some links that I I looked at, and one of them was a mind map, which it's this great little drawing, and we'll put a link to it. It's not my drawing, so I don't feel right putting it actually on the website, but put a link in the show notes at therecovery.show slash 403, so you can go look at it. Um, This guy says, I heard this quote, if you recognize that all your inner hurts are caused by your own wrong actions or your own wrong reactions or your own wrong inaction, 
then you will stop hurting yourself. So then this guy made this picture with action, inaction, reaction, and wrong thought, judgment, decision, and you got pluses and minuses, and there's like a storm cloud with a lightning bolt and all kinds of stuff. But then there's also like a rainbow, and the sun shining out from behind this cloud of wrong air. And and I was like, why does it say wrong air? And then I read the little description. Oh, here's his actual name, Paul Foreman. Okay. I read his little description, and he says, I've simplified the quote into three key areas headed up by the AIR acronym. A for action, I for inaction, and R for reaction. I'm like, oh, okay, acronym. We love those acronyms. Action, inaction, reaction, AIR. So that's like the three A's, wow. the AIR. Cool. You can put it in your pocket and take it with you, a little piece of change there. Wow. There's some pocket change. Yeah. Never would have known that. That's really good. Yeah. The quote's about recognizing, to put it in some Elanon terms, to recognize when I haven't sat with a, a decision long enough to hear the guidance of my higher power. And so I go off in some random direction, maybe because I just reacted, um, maybe because I actually chose an action without you know, practicing step 11, then I end up with these clouds and the lightning and the rain and whatever he's got in the picture there. You should, really should go look at that picture. Like I said, link's going to be in the show notes. I can't wait. I, I almost think the title of this episode should be air, you know, maybe I, reaction, inaction, yeah. action. I'm going to breathe that one in and breathe that one out for a while. How about that? <laughs> yeah. And the guy's name, come on, this guy's name is really Pilgrim. Can I go to his house for Thanksgiving? It's Peace Pilgrim. Obviously, that's that's, like, that's a, a probably an adopted name. Pseudonym. Yeah, there you go. Pseudonym. Peace <laughs> Pilgrim who walked twenty five thousand miles for peace. Um, I, I I haven't gone I haven't gone down that rabbit hole, but yeah. if you're interested, there it is. You can probably Google Peace Pilgrim and find out all kinds of stuff. I'm sure. I like it. I like it. Air is is real pocket change. I'm going to take today's episode. All right. Never put that acronym together. It's awesome. I have a couple of other quotes that I got this morning. I was on my 7.30, you are not alone, daily meeting electronic. It's such a strong. I got, you know, 120 plus people. At the I stayed for the after meeting or the parking lot, as they call it. Okay. And I said, if you don't mind, I'm going to do a reading from Hope for Today, which is uh, the way we started today, mm -hmm. which was October 15th, about inactive and reactive. And got some really great feedback. I told people I was doing a deep dive on it today. And it's in the after meeting. So they asked, what do you mean by that? And I told them. And, and lots of people chimed in that they know the show. They love the show. Uh, a couple said, could you please send the link? So I think it, it touched a chord. And this two quotes sent to me by someone from this morning. Um, both by Victor Frankl. Who was Victor Frankl? Is he a poet? I don't even know what. Yeah. Victor Frankl, he was, it says, Austrian psychiatrist, okay. um, yeah. Holocaust survivor. Yeah. Um, yeah. Deep thinker. And thinker, yes. A deep thinker. So here's the two quotes that someone sent me this morning. There's no better reminder than Victor Frankl's famous quote, learned in depths and horrors of a concentration camp, about how to think in these situations. Here's the quote. Between stimulus and response, there is a space. In that space is our power to choose our response. In our response lies our growth and our freedom. Wow. 
again, we come back to the pause, the Elanon pause, the waiting to hear from your higher power that is in many ways really central to our recovery. So, yeah, wonderful. You had another quote. Yeah, another Frankel quote. Everything can be taken from a man but one thing. The last of the human freedoms to choose one's attitude in any given set of circumstances. When we are no longer able to change the situation, we are challenged to change ourselves. That sums it up. That's what we're here for, right? We had an episode about attitude. Changed attitudes. Episode 62. It was a while ago. Um, I mean, I had an episode. I don't think we had uh, gotten no. touched by episode 62. It was in that episode about attitude is orientation of an aircraft. When you say, how can I change my attitude? If you take that attitude definition, and I got this from listening to an AA speaker tape, as we call it, because it was an MP3 file, but <laughs> that, that vocabulary, it sticks, right? And this guy said, yeah, his sponsor told him this definition of attitude of an aircraft is the angle of approach. And then when you think about it that way, you say, yeah, I can change that, right? I can change the perspective that I look at things from, the attitude, the angle of approach to things. I can change that. Um, Might not be easy, but I can. And here he says, we have this fundamental freedom that is the last thing that can be taken away to choose our attitude. Awesome. Yeah, I'll just maybe wrap with one more reading, which I thought was a really good one. From Hope for Today, August 14th, page 227. Before Al-Anon has sometimes made choices in reaction to uncomfortable emotions, such as confusion, anger, and fear, none of which are good foundations for decision-making. I was reacting, and my life felt completely unmanageable. Alan showed me how to respond appropriately to my emotions. In terms of reacting, I learned to deal with my feelings first so that I could clearly consider the facts of the situation. Now, when I experience intense emotions, I call my sponsor to talk out the problem and to diffuse my feelings. Sometimes I write in a journal or do something physical like swimming. Prayer and meditation also help me to calm down and get perspective. When I want to take drastic action, I ask myself, how important is it? Is my proposed behavior proportionate to the aggravation? Hmm. Often it's not. Each of these tools help me gain space and time to untangle the threads of intellect and emotion. Then I can act rather than react. It helps to keep in mind that getting better doesn't always mean feeling better. When I need to walk through pain to let it go, I remember, quote, this too shall pass. I tell myself, that just as thinking doesn't make it so, neither does feeling make it so. My life is going to work out according to God's will, regardless of how I feel. So why try to manipulate situations to avoid the unavoidable human emotions? Such behavior only creates more pain, and I certainly don't want for that. (laughs) (laughs) Thought for the day, am I working with my feelings or allowing them to work against me? And the quote of encouraged to change 249 page, the true nature of my problem was my stubborn refusal to acknowledge feelings, to accept them, and to let them go. Oof. Jam-packed, huh? Yeah, I'm going to have to go back and read that one a few times, I think. 
Yeah, there's just so much in it. And right in the middle here, now when I experience intense emotions, in other words, when my lizard brain is activated, I call my sponsor. Sometimes I write in my journal or do something physical like swimming. Prayer and meditation also help me calm down and get perspective. Okay, those are program tools that I can use to avoid the immediate fight-flight-freeze response. Oh, I could call my sponsor or a program friend. I could actually read the literature. I'm not a journaling person, but if you are, I feel like that's probably an excellent way to process something without fleeing, fighting, whatever. Doing something physical, yeah. I notice that just getting out and going for a walk with my dog, because he's always along when I'm going for a walk. Sometimes he encourages me to go for a walk. And if you have a dog who likes to go for walks, you can imagine what that encouragement looks like. Bouncing and running to the door and yeah, come on, let's go. I'm like, no, I don't feel like it. Come on, let's go. Um, And then I get out and I walk and the, the physical activity helps to calm the hamster wheel or whatever's going on in my head. So excellent ideas about how to deal and also how important is it there's a lot of good stuff in here i'm glad you pulled it up a lot of good tools here there's other links that i sent you this one is cool it says in physics newton's third law of motion is generally stated as thus to quote to every action there is always opposed an equal reaction Mm -hmm. mutual actions two bodies upon each other are always equal and direct contrary parts in life however a reaction to an action or inaction may be disproportionate or unequal. Therefore, we should be careful in actions because mm-hmm. we may not be able to determine the reactions they will precipitate. It's the blame reaction and lose sight of the actions or inaction that cause it. Believe it or leave it. Believe we it. are often the causes of our own misfortunes. Our actions and interactions make and mark us. Pretty cool. Yeah, I've got a couple more contributions from listeners. And I think I'm going to start with the voice memo that Anna sent us. Hey, everyone. I'm Anna Ramona. And thank you so much for this question, the topic of inaction and reaction. When I think about it, even I take a deep breath and I think, oh my gosh, yeah, when did I react or when do I react? I react without thinking when I'm in fear and when I'm concerned about not being enough, not having enough, when I get stuck and feel alone. And what's different in program, what's changed in recovery is that all of those ideas I can now combat. I can see that those are just ways of the disease trying to come in, alcoholism trying to come in and telling me that I'm not enough and I can just tell it to shut it. (laughs) And I can see more easily now when I'm in fear and when I'm in halt, when I'm in hungry, angry, lonely, tired. And even just the other night where I'm up late and realizing that my mind is going crazy and trying to pull me into reactions or freezing into inaction. 
and overwhelm. And so when I feel overwhelmed now, that's a sign that something's going on. That's a sign that the disease is trying to come in. And in the past before program, it was a sign that I needed to do something. So that's what the disease was telling me to do was that if I felt overwhelmed, then I need to address it and I need to do more or be more. And thankfully, I get to relax and program and I get to go into the, the first step and I get to let go. I get to remind myself that there's something bigger than myself, that I am powerless. First, second, third step, 11th step, and then see the miracles in program that, oh, once I go ahead and go to sleep, I feel much better the next day. Oh, once I go ahead and reach out to my sponsor, I feel better. I can let the venom of everything that's coming through me surge out and realize that I don't have to do anything. And we have a reading about this and courage to change, I believe, about waiting and being able to not do as doing. That is the process. And I use a God box or a God can and I can't. And I can go ahead and write down all of the things that are flowing into my mind where I want to react and or where I am feeling like there's no way out and put it in my God can and work to let it go. And this is such a different way to live. I'm so grateful for recovery. I'm grateful for y'all's service, all of y'all that are here listening and contributing to the worldwide fellowship of Al-Anon. It's, it's such a, it's such a different way to live. And if you're new, please keep coming back. I hope that you find your recovery, that you can live happy, joyous and free in ways that mean as this topic that for me, I no longer have to react. I can pause, and I love the acronym of practicing acceptance until serenity enters. So thanks again for letting me share. Thank you, Anna, for that. So much in there. Again, we're getting these things that have that have so much to process, to unpack. I love that you start with, this is how it used to be. Um, oh my gosh. When did I react? When do I react without thinking when I'm in fear? Yes. Bing. When I'm concerned about not being enough, not having enough. Bing. When I get stuck and feel alone. Bing. Okay. Yes, yes, yes. Thank you for for bringing those out. Then what do you do? Uh, First, second, third step, 11th step. Okay. First, yeah. What is the situation? What can I do in this situation? What am I powerless over? Step one. Step two, I don't have to do this alone, right? There is help available. And step three, asking for that help. And also step 11. And then the miracles in the program. And you go to sleep. Just, yeah. She refers us to a Courage to Change reading about waiting and using a God box. That's a tool that that I haven't used a lot, my wife does, and it really helps her. Thank you. Thank you, Anna. Good Lord. <laughs> There's just so much in there. Miracles of the program. You know, I don't hear this often. Don't leave until the miracle happens. I think they say that in AA meetings quite a bit. 
and it pause acronym practicing acceptance until serenity enters. Yeah, I heard that one in a meeting you know, recently. Yes. There's a nugget to put in the pocket today. This is a lot. Thank you so much, Hannah. It's beautiful share. We did an episode on miracles. I know we did. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just it's a, a scene from the movie Miracle in thirty fourth Street. Do you believe was the title? Where she's sitting in the back of the car. I believe. I believe. I believe. Stop the car. That one, yes. Yeah. Do you believe episode 270? It was right before Christmas, if I recall. Do you have a date? Because I think I just watched the movie, Miracle on 34th Street, the original. Um, Let's see. December 11th, 2018, episode 270. Another 11th. The 11s are everywhere. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. I think I'm going to continue here from Anna with email that came in just this morning from Melissa. Thank you for writing. She writes, in Al-Anon Recovery, the journey of understanding and transforming fight, flight, or freeze responses into meaningful action is beautifully illustrated by the experience with my son's transition to university amidst his struggles with anxiety and OCD. Initially, my reactions vacillated between the instinct to fight, attempting to fix his problems, and flight, feeling overwhelmed and inclined to avoid the situation. This internal conflict between reacting impulsively and freezing in inaction reflected a common struggle in facing a loved one's challenges. Yeah, so true. So true, Melissa. However, recovery provided a new perspective. The decision to support my son in the form of flying out there to help him get connected with valuable resources wasn't rooted in solving his problems for him. It was about guiding him to self-reliance and utilizing the resources available to him. This significant shift from reactive behaviors, fight or flight, or inaction, freeze, to considered healthy actions marked a pivotal moment in my recovery journey. Instead of over-involvement or withdrawal, recovery taught the importance of empowering him to manage his challenges, providing support, while allowing him to face natural consequences and make his own decisions. And Eric has a note here. We have an episode about making decisions. Do you have the number on that? Yeah, I don't. We'll get it. I'll put the link in the show notes. Melissa continues, this transformation extended beyond a single act of support. It involved ongoing self-reflection, utilizing spiritual tools like prayer, meditation, and the 10th step of Al-Anon, and seeking guidance from a sponsor. And just a reminder that 10th step says we continue to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Continuing, this practice helped maintain clarity on my motives and reinforced my desire to be a supportive, non-judgmental presence for my grown children. In recovery, perfection isn't the goal. Instead, it's about striving for a balance where support doesn't become enabling and love remains unconditional. My son's journey with its ups and downs highlights how Al-Anon's principle can transform how we approach challenges, leading to healthier relationships and personal growth. It underscores that turning inaction and reaction into appropriate action is not just a concept, but a practical approach to life's complexities, especially when navigating the delicate balance of supporting a loved one with mental health challenges. Thank you for letting me share a small snapshot of my personal experience, strength, and hope. It was a blessing to get to reflect back on this recent experience. Signed, Melissa. Oh, Melissa. Thank you. 
Thank you for sharing that with us. What a share. I get so much out of the listeners' shares, much more than I I put in, I get. And Mm -hmm. perspective we did, decision-making we did, consequences we did, motives you just did, balance, just so much here. Um, My daughters are both, as you know, their mom passed away two years ago on Thanksgiving Day. Not only that, but November 8th was her birthday. So there's been some grief that's resurfaced, which is natural and appropriate. But I got to tell you, both of my girls, my older 25 and my younger now 21, and she got the T-shirt, of course, finally 21 and able to do all the crap I've been doing since I was 15. They both got that shirt when they turned 21. Finally legal to do everything I've been doing since I was 15. But Spencer, my younger is a senior now down in North Carolina at the university and wants to continue on for her fifth year. She and I just composed her essay two days ago to apply to the fifth year at this university, which is the tuition is free, which is an unbelievable gift. If you stay on for the fifth year, mm-hmm. get free tuition. And she made the Dean's List this last semester and it was published cool. in five or six, seven, eight, nine newspapers down south. My older who has was shared about in the past through a lot of struggles with addiction and behavior and self-harm and uh, lots of other things and in treatment various places. She, upon her own accord, applied and was accepted and is attending UConn, right up the street in the UConn Stanford campus, which is a beautiful big campus and her, will be in her junior year at 25 years old studying or a degree in psychology. Uh, it's miracles, mm-hmm. absolute miracles. I credit this program with my ability to support them through some really difficult times uh, in the, over the last two, three years in particular. So we're going to get together for Thanksgiving and count our blessings, of which there are so many. That's, that's about it. All right. That it feels like a great place to stop where you used your program tools to take appropriate actions so that your kids are on on a path to adulthood or in adulthood yeah. having faced challenges and got through it. Yeah. yeah my, my younger just sent me a screenshot. I guess she was walking back from the guidance center or something. And she sent me a screenshot of a brochure that said Japan. Uh-oh. <laughs> uh, well, yeah. <laughs> so we are looking at a semester abroad in Osaka, believe it or not, for her for, I don't know, maybe spring or some point in her senior or advanced fifth year, maybe. Okay. That came out of the blue. Like, okay. <laughs> I'm all for it. Yeah. I don't know much about Japan, but some people I know that have been there, they said it's life-changing to visit, so. Yeah, it's on my it's on my bucket list. Okay, um, we're going to take a break and move on to our lives in recovery. But first, we want to talk about music, and you came up with songs that I think work nicely here. Um, first one, "Waiting on the World to Change" by John Mayer. Uh, you want to say a little bit about that song? Uh, it's oldie but a goodie. Here's the song facts about describes how most people deal with problems in the world. When Mayer sings, "Me and all my friends were all misunderstood." Say we stand for nothing, but there's no way we ever could. He's talking about his generation and their lack of faith in the government, 
Uh, all we can do is wait. And it seems like everyone is waiting for the world to become a better place. We sit on our hands and watch as the government. How about that for appropriate with what's going on in the world today? Yeah. Um, and it really, he just says in an interview, and really he did this to just start debate, start a debate. Uh-huh. People are happy to wait for things to change, but he's making a case to take some action. Um, and the other place I looked for Wikipedia, it says, although the lyrics can be seen to encourage apathy, music itself may be subtly issuing a call for people to take action. Mayor's baseline court progression strongly echoes Curtis Mayfield's civil rights era, and people get ready, which may feel recorded with the oppressions and released at the height of the civil rights movement in 65. So, you know, if you kind of wrap up our episode, what do we do to get ready for God's guidance? And sometimes it's being inactive. And this last week, I was forced into that. And mm-hmm. there it was, all of a sudden, like a brick. Last night, I got the answer because I was patient enough. And I chose to not take an action because I didn't see one. And there it was, all the time, just waiting to hit me. So, what a beautiful reference here. In this section of the podcast, we talk about our lives in recovery. How have we experienced recovery recently? I think for me, so I'm going to retire. There's a lot of change coming. And there's some uncertainty around that change. There's a lot of change coming. And and it's going to be like all new I'm not going to have the regular schedule of I get up in the morning and I, quotes, go to work. Because for me, going to work means walking into this office and sitting down and, and turning on my computer. Um, there's no not much going left these days. Um, but it's still going to work. It's still a mindset of I'm going to sit down and I've got, you know, eight hours or whatever in front of me where I'm going to be working on tasks for the company that are not, they're not directly like benefiting my life. Right. And that's going to, that's going to change. I'm going to have all this quotes free time. I don't think I really understand the impact of that. One of the things that I expect to do with some of that, all that free time is get a lot more regular with the podcast again, but also it's not just me, you know, my wife and I are, are a unit, a family unit. And it affects both of us. She has been very nervous about making this transition from getting a paycheck to taking money from what we've been accumulating over the years. I've been in Social Security since 1973, I think. I've been contributing to retirement account since 1979. Compound interest is a wonderful thing when you're on that side of it. What's going to happen now that we're going to be pulling money out instead of putting money in? And and that's very nerve-wracking for her. We had a meeting with our financial advisor this week, which I think helped to reassure her because the plug-in numbers about what your expenses are going to be and how much you want to have to live on and so on um, and then they run a simulation like multiple times and this all happens in the space of a couple of minutes when the computers are just crunching away like mad with various different assumptions about how the economy is going to go and everything. And it comes out and it said, 
you guys are in good shape. And it says, here's a couple of scenarios that you probability of getting till 95 is the age that they aim for these days. You want to be able to live to at least 95. And it says, and when you get to 95, you'll have this much money left to pass on to your children or whatever. And I looked at that number and I'm like, hey, we need to spend more money. (laughs) (laughs) But there's a lot of acceptance and also a lot of actions that we need to take. And I have to admit, I'm sitting in inaction on some of them and they need to happen pretty damn soon. For example, signing up for Medicare so I have health insurance in the new year. And I know what I need to do. I'm pretty sure I know what decision I want to make. It's not a permanent decision because you can change some of these things every year. You come around to open enrollment. And if you don't like the insurance that you bought this year, you can change it to a different one. I would like to not have to make all these decisions, but it's there. I have to do it. So this is actually a good time to do this topic of action and inaction because I realized I am sitting in inaction on that and I just need to do it. I know what I want to do. I know that if the program I pick this year is not the best for me, I can pick a different one next year. And I've been reaching out for advice, not to my sponsor, but to people who've been there before me, who can give me the benefit of their experience, strength, and hope as somebody who's done this and can tell me about their experience. So. I'm using some program tools here, but good topic today for that for me. And with that, I'll pass. How are you doing? We heard something about how you're doing this week and how you're using your program already, right? Well, Spencer, this episode is for you. (laughs) Uh, This fall has been a huge public outreach, larger than I've ever experienced, I think, or anyone has ever, as I am now. The area public outreach coordinator for the state of Connecticut. And, uh, as you see, when I prepare, I tend to prepare. So we just, we, I loaded up this year. We have a $6,000 a year budget and I left it all on the field. My friend, we have $170 remaining in the account for the remainder of the year Mm. because I just blasted everything with new banners, new tablecloths, fortune cookies with Alamon slogans inside. The sweethearts with some weight and ODAT and the Alabama logo on them to hand away as giveaways and bracelets and decals and stickers and wheels of the, these spinning roulette wheels with all the slogans and sayings on them. We call them the Alabama wheels of good fortune, which are, we do at these events. I, I think in this fall alone, I would venture we've reached two to three thousand people, either at holistic health fairs. Um, Better Living Expo in Bridgeport, there were probably multiple hundreds and hundreds of people. The 64th Area 11 AA Convention with Alamon participation, we had not only an Alamon public outreach table with all this swag, we also had for the first time ever an Alateen public outreach table with its own tablecloth and own uh, giveaways. Uh, City of New Haven Health and Wellness Fair. Coming up, the remaining two are the Yukon School of Social Work, where we have an in-presence uh, classroom for a course they're teaching in addiction and substance abuse. We'll have two people or three people on a panel in the classroom, and I'll be on Zoom like the Wizard of Oz behind a screen, uh, projecting stuff behind them. And the last thing of the year, I believe, is the Siskipa, which is Connecticut Society of Young People in AA which is a very okay. large event. So it's been a very busy fall for me with that. And I'm 
so much out of it. My committee meets every first Wednesday of the month. We have 12 very active or so among uh, 80 plus on the email list that step up on occasion. So that's kept me pretty busy. I'm looking forward to actually slowing that down. Other than that, I've done my, been doing my daily morning meetings almost every day and I've been busy with work and that's it. Yeah. So. Oh, I have a question about that morning meeting. I know that when I was attending it a couple of years ago, you would open the meeting with reading from the three daily readers one day at a time, Courage to Change, and Hope for Today. Have you added in the new reader? Yeah, so our last business meeting, we talked about how to do that, and there are a couple of ideas about how to do it. One of the ideas that I proposed was that we added on the weekends, which it tends to be fewer people on weekends. Mm-hmm. The average is probably down below 100 Mm-hmm. So when we do a fourth reader, that one. The other ideas are just that people can choose during their share to read from that book, because not everyone had it as of a right. ago. It was For sure. And yeah. there's still other notions that on Tuesdays we do a step of the month, and out of several different readers, Tuesdays are devoted every week to the step of the month, and maybe inject that book into that day. So it's still being discussed. If you've got four readers, like you say, it does take up a pretty big section of the meeting. It does. And we only have an hour. And with our preamble and all of the front work, we only end up with about a half an hour for open shares. But we get a lot of shares in. They're two-minute shares. I feel like I heard somewhere, maybe in some official communication from the World Service Office, or it might have been... In uh, our delegates report from the the World Service Conference, I don't remember now, but I remember hearing that they were going to sort of retire one day at a time, like they'll still have it, but yeah, it's not going to be the primary reader because it was written over 50 years ago. I guess it's less accessible to younger people in the program, something like that. Yeah, that came up in that the last business meeting, and there's a lot of very highly devoted people to that reader because they've had it for 30, 40 years, and I like it too. Exactly. That was the first book I got. Yeah, of course, that other people, that was their only book for years. My neighbor gave me her copy when I first joined the program. It still has that inscription from her. And yeah, it was the first literature I had until I bought How Elanon Works. So we'll have to see what individual groups decide to do. Because that's what tradition for all the groups are autonomous. And what to read in the meeting is completely a decision of the group, as long as it's Al-Anon conference-approved literature. One of my meetings, we often take a reading from one of the daily readers to, to prompt shares. We've been mostly reading from the new book, um, A Little Time for Myself, uh, because I was at the international convention and I pulled my friends in the meeting, like who wants a copy? And everybody said, yes, I want a copy. So I came home with eight copies of the book and handed them out. Um, So we got lucky that way. But man, that book was selling like hotcakes or whatever the expression is at the convention, which speaking of the convention, um, I have previously asked and am still asking if you were at the convention, um, what, was your experience there? What have you brought home with you? What has maybe changed in your program based on what happened at the convention, the experiences you had there? So if you haven't yet contributed, and this is, 
I think this is going to be the next episode after this one with Eric is going to be putting together your shares and my thoughts about the international convention and how it affected me, what values I found there, and, and maybe what I brought home with me from there. We welcome your thoughts, your experience, strength, and hope. Please join the conversation, leave us a voicemail, or send us an email. And Eric, how can people do that? You can call and leave us a voicemail at 734-707-8795. But right now, 734-707-8795. You can use the voicemail button on the website to join the conversation from your computer. You can also send a voice memo or email to feedback at the recovery.show. We'd love to hear from you, share your experience, strength, or your questions about today's topic, inaction, reaction, or any of our upcoming topics. If you have a topic you'd like us to talk about, let us know. If you'd like advance notice of some of our topics so that you can contribute to the topic, you can sign up for our mailing list by sending an email to feedback at the recovery.show. Put, quote, email in the subject line to make it easier to spot. Our website, which has all the information about the show, is therecovery.show or many other aliases. That includes notes for each episode, links to the books that we read from, links to the episodes we mentioned, as much as I can pull them out, and videos for the music. And there's some links to other recovery podcasts and websites. If you want to recommend The Recovery Show to a friend, the easy way to do that is to send them to the website, therecovery.show, and there's a link in the menu at the top to subscribe, and there's a whole bunch of buttons depending what kind of app you're listening on or whatever that you can subscribe or follow the podcast. And now we're around to songs again. Yeah. The one I really like here that I just found this morning is the Hall of song. Some things are better left unsaid. It says the phrase better left unsaid describes things that have said could anger other people or land the speaker in trouble. Things that are better left unsaid should remain as thoughts in a person's head because they'll cause pleasant said aloud. And the lyric says you wouldn't buy this back. I feel like I could run away looking at a darker day. Oh, I'm pulling my shades away from my eyes. It's true the moody manners come and go. And it's better that you never know. Some things are better left unsaid. Some things are better left undone. Some hearts are better left unbroken. Some lives are better left untouched. Some lies are better off believed. Some words are better left unspoken. And it goes on. But the phrase I was referring to and that I used before is, I've seldom gotten myself in trouble for something I didn't say. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So again, yeah. it's a question about when is inaction actually... Exactly. The good thing is the appropriate to just yeah. shut up. Now it's time to hear from you. And I have heard from you about my experiment in the last episode with the artificial intelligence voices. The response was a resounding no. So I won't do that again. A couple of examples here. Nancy wrote, Love your show, but I must say I really don't like the AI voiceover. It feels to me very impersonal, false, and strangely anxiety-provoking. feels like substituting Alexa for a person-to-person -person experience. And Lisa said, I heard you say you wanted feedback about the AI recordings. I find them horrible. The lack of emotion, the mechanical voice is like nails on a chalkboard. 
those are pretty clear. So thanks for letting me know. We got a voicemail from M. Hello, Spencer. This is M, a grateful member of Al-Anon. I rejoice to hear episode 399 in your call to us listeners to contribute our own example of Al-Anon lessons in great literature. Soon after I found Al-Anon a few decades ago, I began to discover Al-Anon or the unfortunate lack of it in much of the literature I was studying and or reading for pleasure. In meetings, I would say, I know none of Dostoevsky's work is in conference-approved literature, but I'd like to share about these two characters, or whatever it was I was reading at the time. I'd like to suggest to you and listeners four texts of the many that come to mind, and one author to consider through a program lens. Two, I'll put in the what it was like category and the two other pieces of literature in the how I use the program now, or at least one of them can be put there. The first is H.T. Wells' The Island of Dr. Moreau from 1896. This book portrays amazingly, astutely, what it is like to be dependent upon and and vulnerable to, let's say, abusive alcoholics and people who are abusive in other ways when one is the only sober person, emotionally sober, not just non-drinking, around. There is one character, I don't think, I guess they wouldn't use the term then, Montgomery. One of the characters certainly does have a drinking problem, and it's evident in the book. But besides being an ahead-of-its-time work of science relating to up-to-the-minute topics like genetic engineering and so on, the book really does convey the state of being the, the only person waking up when everyone's hung over and or someone in a state where others are telling you this is normal, things that are not normal. Everyone telling you you're not hearing and seeing what you are hearing and seeing. H.G. Wells does a great job with that. The other in the what it was like category is The Strange Taste of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde by Robert Louis Stevenson. That one's 1886. I'm not recommending Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde because of the personality changes that certain people with a drinking problem can go through when they drink. Although I know that it's resonated with some people for that reason. But I find that Davison depicts with great compassion and empathy the gradual loss of control over a substance that once gave one pleasure and which one could, at a certain previous era, however brief, use completely voluntarily, I should say, that one could use when one wanted to and stop when one wanted to, and the gradual control that the substance instead appeals over one's life. He, he depicts with uh, wonderful empathy the desperation to recapture the original high, the original from Satan uh, one had with more and more intense doses that are just not doing it any longer. And there is a moving scene when Dr. Jekyll is begging his servant to go to all of the chemists in town, I guess pharmacists, we would call them now, and saying they're not giving me the right 
substance any longer, the right medication that he uses to mix into the potion that he created for himself. And there are scenes of the increasing isolation from friends, the torment of trying to keep the secret. I think there may be more than one secret here than the one that relates to alcoholism, but I'll let you guys determine that when you read it. It's really short and it's incredible. One novel that I'd like to add is Anne Bronte's The Tenant of Wildfell Hall. It could be Wildfell. I'm going to call it The Tenant of Wildfell Hall. I'm not sure how to pronounce this. And that's practically an 1848 version of The Dilemma of the Alcoholic Marriage. In this novel, the main character shows an incredible ability to erect and maintain healthy boundaries in a very difficult marital situation. There's a, a child involved, her son, and a husband who in this period can, if he wishes, take the son and get custody of the son. She doesn't have any power over that. With the tenets of Wildfell Hall, the main character is able to do what she feels is her duty to help her alcoholic husband, to care for him physically, to nurse him at his bedside without emotional entanglement. And she does so in a way also that's not cruel, not uh, attempting to establish superiority or to prove his dependence upon her at that time. I was just blown away when I first read this early in recovery. How did someone without any program do what the character here does? It's a long novel. It's over 400 pages. But I think uh, people in the program will find it a real page turner. And lastly, I wanted to read Theater Redcube, my cop is Wall. It comes seven years after AA was founded. It's a 1942 poem. And it gives the point of view of a child who may not have resentment, who senses something is wrong, but just loves the alcoholic. And then lastly, I, I was going to just talk about the author Edgar Allan Poe, who whatever um, people having revolutionary theory might date, to the contrary, died of his drinking at age 40 at the height of his powers of uh, as a writer. I know that certain contemporaries are recorded as having said we just couldn't handle his drink. It was an accusation really of lack of manliness or lacking a certain manly characteristic. I think Poe was drinking a lot more than anyone had any idea that he was and pulling a lot of geographic with his young wife, who was also his cousin. We have his doctor's notes, the person who was caring for him when he died, having been essentially picked up in in the streets, passed out. He records the delirium tremens Poe suffered from. He records Poe's words, which are full of shame and self-loathing. And poor Edgar Allan Poe did not know what kind of a disease he had. Uh, he believed that he should, quote-unquote, should be able to drink in moderation and might not have known, as we know, that some people simply cannot do that, as it seems to us in the programs in these rooms. 
And it's always so poignant to me to read of his last hours and to know how much he blamed himself for something over which none of us has any control. Thank you again for the wonderful program. Wow. Four literature recommendations. Thanks for that, Em. And we'll put links where you can actually go read the books and the poem right on the web, if that works for you. Or you can find them at your local public library, probably, except for the poem. That might be harder. Amanda wrote in response to episode 383 with Laurel that was titled Alcoholism Ended Her Marriage. Thank you. Going through this right now with my spouse and we have filed divorce. The amount of gaslighting leading me to think it was my fault or that the episodes were the result of insomnia and deflecting. I'm learning to drop the rope. I also have a child involved and he had a minor accident while blackout drunk. I had to file an order of protection to have my spouse removed from home to protect our child. Thank you for this story and this episode as I needed to hear this. Thank you for writing, Amanda, and I did pass that on to Laurel. (sighs) Yeah, glad we can provide some experience, strength, and hope that helps you decide what you need to do. Grace left us a voicemail. Hi, Sandra. Grace again calling in all the way from Australia. Got your number saved, which is great, because I love, love, love listening to a podcast. And, yeah, just listen to the latest one, and I got a lot out of it. Um, I'm in my third year of recovery. I've called in before, and I've got the courage to call in again and break my isolation with this disease, which is great. I could really relate to the forgiveness and the acceptance in forgiveness. I'm... Yeah, I'm just becoming aware of the disease and I think denial in myself is being reduced. So I'm seeing how sick I succumb physically. I've got adenomyosis, a back injury, IVF. I get constant cold sores. And when I'm stress-free from my job, I had a little bit of hair loss. Just a chunk. And I was like, that is just me. The physical reactions in my body are really strong. And I thought I have given a lot, but gosh, I've got a long way to go because there's a lot of drinking around me. And the reason I'm calling in is to give feedback for your show. I'm now starting to put words on to how much they have helped me. And I don't think I could have put words to it before. So I listen on walks. I Listen while I'm getting ready. They helped me get out of bed because I'm a teacher and I was on stress leave and still am. That two days though, and it was like a mini meeting. I've got a home group. I'm in Tasmania, Australia, which is a funny state and it's nice to be able to reach out through not just my home group because it's small, but through this podcast with the disease. Um, makes me feel less alone. I also wanted to request, I'm not sure if you've got it on the fast together, if you've got an episode on siblings in recovery or just the effect of the disease on siblings because I found that in a lot of meetings, a lot of people talk about husbands, wives. I find that being one of four, the youngest with the disease in my family, it brought us siblings really close initially because we had to either take on the parent role things like that so it, it brings us really close to too close and then the disease has torn us all apart 
and Eleanor slowly helping me forgive with my first thing than myself. But I just don't have a lot of people to connect to who have had it being more alcoholic. Yeah. Hope you hear from me soon. Bye. And we're looking for episode about siblings. And we have a couple that have some sibling content. The first was episode 38, which was a sibling roundtable. And that was a long time ago. Uh, and then episode 275, titled Kate C. Grew Up With Alcoholism, also talked somewhat about sibling relationships. I think from Grace, I think it was about siblings from an alcoholic family. But there's also the topic of when your sibling is the one with the disease. So if that sounds like you, either of those, let me know and we can set up a time to record. Robin writes, Spencer, congratulations on your 400th episode. I started listening a lot during COVID and appreciate your work quite a bit. I've been in the rooms for about 25 years. Recently, I've been confronting the concept and experience of being irritable and unreasonable without knowing it. I started reading some of the AA literature and listening to AA podcasts for clues from that program. Something that I've connected to there is the idea of emotional maturity. It seems many alcoholics get sober and then confront their own experience of being irritable and unreasonable without knowing it. That program focuses on service as a solution. I'd love for you to do a program around this issue. Elanon's solution seems far less clear-cut. Robin, he, him. Thanks, Robin, for writing. As I hear what you're looking for is an episode about service as a solution or as a way to reduce our irritability and unreasonableness. I think that's what you're asking about. Because we could also talk a lot about service in general and how service has enhanced um, people's programs. Again, love to have a co-host. That really gets me going. It's a lot harder for me to do these things solo, or so I tell myself anyway. Raquel left a voicemail. Hi, Spencer. It's Raquel from Northern California. I just wanted to say um, how grateful I am for your service and for your podcast. I found your podcast recently, and it has just been a blessing to my life and to my recovery. I also wanted to share with you and any listeners out there um, that I was giddy uh, when I binged through a show called The Bear that many people know about um, and realized that it features Al-Anon. So I just wanted to share with everyone out there that if you watch that show or you or have been thinking about it, um, you will get a taste of Al-Anon, which in most media, film and movies and show, we usually get AA, but not so much Al-Anon. Um, and again, thank you, Spencer. I know um, it seems like you're kind of winding down on your podcast, but so grateful for you, so grateful for your service. Take care. Bye-bye. Raquel, I have not seen that TV show, The Bear. I did not know that it had Al-Anon meetings in it. There's a lot of shows that have AA or NA or whatever meetings, but I don't think I've ever seen one with an Al-Anon meeting. And I looked at the Wikipedia page about the show and their little plot summaries. I think there's at least three episodes that mention him going to an Al-Anon meeting. So I'm going to have to check that show out. It uh, apparently is streaming on Hulu. If 
you subscribe to that, which I do. So thanks for that. Got email from a listener who prefers to remain anonymous. Hi, Spencer and others. I discovered your podcast about three months ago, and I'm listening to about four a week. I have obviously many yet to listen to. Perhaps this topic has already been discussed, but if not, I suggest a topic about a married couple being in big disagreement about their adult child who is an alcoholic. When I say disagreement, I'm also meaning that this is having a very negative impact on the relationship of the parents. One is going to Al-Anon, the other is a big enabler. This is my situation. My husband and I have huge arguments and I walk on eggshells and keep my mouth shut to keep some peace in the home and avoid being called some unpleasant names. Yeah, thanks for that suggestion. I have this feeling that there are some previous episodes where that sort of thing might have been going on, but they're not coming to me right now. If you have some experience, strength, and hope to share, please write. Got a voicemail from an anonymous listener. Hi there. I was just listening to episode 299. You're asking for feedback for episode 300 at that time. I can't help but feel that I should leave a voicemail today because it's been a while since a new episode of the recovery show has appeared and I've relied on listening to past episodes to get me through my day to day. And I would never have done that had you not, you know, put a new episode. So for that, I have to say thank you for not providing another episode. This truly has been one of the best episodes I could have listened to today. Because in listening to the recording that was being offered, I realized in so many ways how my own recovery has come about. And I owe it all to truly all recovery programs. Al-Anon is not my home recovery program. However, the principles are all there. It doesn't matter sometimes, you know, what your addiction is because the way that you offer the recording, they really accentuate the little nooks and crannies of your own recovery. And listening to episode 299, while I am divorced from my ex-husband, I know I have a child with my ex-husband and he and I will be in a relationship for as long as I breathe. And interestingly, for a very long time, I did not see my part in so much of the absolute train wreck that was happening in my, in my marriage. And so many of the things that I did to sabotage my own marriage and my own way of existing, I now can see it with the tools and the program and the shares that everyone has so generously offered. Thank you for sharing your experience with us. Anne left a comment on episode number 66, which was titled Codependency. 
I have been meaning to comment for a long time, but this episode touched on so many areas that are relevant to me. Before I talk about that, I want to tell you how much your podcast has helped me. I came here first before I had been able to get myself to a meeting. I listen to past and current episodes almost daily, and they help me so much between meetings. For me, it's the repetition that really helps tools sink in. I was pretty sure that I'm a codependent person for a long time, but two details you brought up really hit home. I am always the one who jumps in with solutions when somebody shares a problem with me. I knew this was wrong because my own suggestions were rarely appreciated. Now I understand that I'm only trying to relieve my own discomfort. Who knew? This has helped me keep my suggestions to myself and, in fact, is a relief. You also mentioned the physical effects of codependent behavior. This is exactly what I experienced during the COVID lockdown. My seven family members fled New York City and came to live with my husband and I in a modest house in rural New York. I jumped in trying to manage everything and everybody's needs and wishes while also trying to teach school remotely. The result was that a huge percentage of my hair actually fell out. That was a pretty clear message. Finally, on a more personal note, I think I am also drawn to your podcast because you mentioned things I'm familiar with. I went to college in Ann Arbor, and after graduating and getting married, moved to the Finger Lakes region of New York, just south of Rochester. Based on your discussions about your parents and their retirement home, I think this is the area they settled in, probably Canandaigua Lake. I understand why they were reluctant to move and how difficult their situation was as they aged. Thank you so much for your show. It's a lifeline for so many people. And thank you. Lost your hair. Wow. <laughs> that is stress. That is too much stress. Oh. Uh, and yes, uh, my parents' retirement home was built at the top of their property above Canandaigua Lake, where I spent all my summers from when I was about five years old until I went off to college. Karen writes, recently I've heard two different people from different meetings say there is one way to work the steps. They are referring to working the steps with a sponsor using the questions and paths to recovery. Luckily, in one case, some responded by saying there isn't just one way to work the steps. As a longtime member, I worked the steps before we had that book. Further, on your podcast and on others also, I have heard people who work the steps in different ways. I heard that in Detroit, at meetings, they sit at tables based on what step they're at. I also heard you talk about your own personal experiences with a group that formed to work the steps together. I also use the phrase in a different way. I work the steps every time I take a problem and dissect it using the steps. I had a difficult problem a while ago that I applied the steps to and solved it in a way better than I could have expected it. I would be interested in co-hosting if you want, and it would be great to get examples from people all over who use different methods of working the steps. I'd love to hear more from people who use other literature. I once had a sponsee read How We Understand to help her work step two. There's also the relatively new workbook, Reaching for Personal Freedom, which someone might be using. Let me know what you think. Karen. Karen, I think that's a, a wonderful idea. I have to admit I'm one of those people who has worked the steps using Paths to Recovery, which I think was relatively new at the time when I entered the program, but I also understand that there are many different ways to work the steps. And in particular, step four seems to be one of those places where that really shows up as people using Path to Recovery, people using Blueprint for Progress, people using the AA four-column method, and others. So that, I think, could be a great conversation. And yes, I would love to hear from you 
who are listening right now how you work the steps, especially if it's different from Paths to Recovery, which, yeah, it's a great workbook, but it's not the only way to go. About Detroit. I haven't been to meetings in Detroit. I live outside Detroit. And there is this tradition of table meetings. The Al-Anon meetings that I've been to that are table meetings might have two or sometimes three tables. Uh, The intent there is to keep the table small enough that uh, everybody at the table can have a chance to share. Different meetings do it differently. One of my regular meetings, that meeting is hybrid now. And so the people who are attending in person are discussing a step in the meeting, sharing about a step. And that just rotates one through 12 and then back to one. Sometimes that group splits into two tables because the in-person meeting has gotten larger as more people have come back. And in that meeting, most recently, online group is working through the Reaching for Personal Freedom workbook. Two different tables, if you will, working it differently. I do remember going to a, an early meeting where there was what they called a barefoot table where it was open topic, which turned out for that particular meeting at that particular time to be mostly people complaining about their lives. I didn't go back to that meeting because of that. But they also had a step table. I've never been to a meeting that was big enough to have 12 different tables, each working a different step. But I could see where that could happen. And just as a little bit of history, my understanding of where this table meeting idea came from was when AA came to Detroit back in the early days of AA, one of the early members was a person who was really shy about public speaking and did not want to get up in front of a large group and talk, but was really okay with sitting at a table with a few other guys. And it probably was all guys at that point and talking about things. And so this tradition of having small tables that the meeting split up into apparently arose from that. And then as Eleanor developed in the area, a lot of meetings picked up that same format. So anyway, a little bit of history there. We got a voicemail from Barbara with a story. Hi, Finfish. This is Barbara calling from California. I'm responding to a request for story. The one that stuck out to me was I am married to an alcoholic. He would be my qualifier. And I had a conversation with my mom maybe a year ago where she was very much telling me what to do. And it was the first time I realized that all these people in our lives are connected to alcoholics and are thus unhealthy in their own way, not just me. My mother-in-law was married to my father-in-law, who was an alcoholic. Um, my husband's ex-wife was the child of an alcoholic and married to my qualifier for about 10 years. My stepkids from my current marriage have been affected by their dad's alcoholism. And so I find myself in all these prickly, complicated situations where people have either unhealthy boundaries or they tell people what to do have a lot of anxiety, that they aren't managing well, all sorts of things that I work on every day as part of my Al-Anon program. Um, and so ever since that conversation, I'm able to approach a lot of people in my life with a lot more compassion because so many people in my life, unfortunately, have been affected by alcoholism. And also, unfortunately, very few of them are actively working on it through programs like Al-Anon or 
anything else. And so I kind of share that as a way that my world really got a lot easier when I can think of all of those people in my life, the things, compassion, that I hope that they treat me because living without active alcoholism or even my mother, her mother was an alcoholic. And I think there are certain behaviors she picked up that never worked on that um, affect how she's handling my situation all over again. That's a story that helped really change the way I interact with people. And I'm hoping that it resonates with some other callers. I appreciate your show. I listen to it regularly. And uh, I wish you all the best. And that relates way back to early in the year when I had an episode about people's stories. Eric, thank you so much for suggesting this topic and uh, getting me off my butt and recording another episode. It's been, yeah, well, it's been a great conversation. I, it really had its, I, it's perfect timing because my, uh, my college football game starts in 14 minutes <laughs> and they're ranked in the top 20 in NCAA right now. So I'm looking forward to watching that on my laptop here Okay, and enjoying the rest of my Saturday. And so thank you very much, Spencer. It's been awesome. I picked a third song, which you can listen to at the recovery.show slash 403. We'll have YouTube videos there. This song is Should I Stay or Should I Go by The Clash. It's about choosing an action or being in inaction. I think the singer is very much in inaction. The chorus is asking this question, should I stay or should I go now? Should I stay or should I go now? If I go, there will be trouble, and if I stay, it will be double. So he just doesn't know what to do. He's sitting there in inaction and needs to make a choice. listening and please keep coming back whatever your problems there are those among us who have had them too if we did not talk about a problem you are facing today feel free to contact us so we can talk about it in a future episode may understanding love and peace growing you one day at a time